Guys, I, uh, yeah, thanks for the fist bumps. Um, guys, I, I just want you to know I'm really grateful for you. And, uh, man, yeah, thanks. That's, that's not what I was... It was all a setup so that you guys would cheer for me. That's what that was about. But uh, this weekend's been really sweet for me. Like, just thinking back through what God has done over the years. And, uh, man, I, I just love you guys. And I just want you to know I care about you. And uh, the people in this room care about you. And, and you matter. That's what this weekend has been about. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited to be with you tonight. I have a lot of personal memories from Saturday nights at the fall retreat and what God has done in my life, and I'm praying he'll do the same in yours. So I want to start out tonight with a story that a few of you have maybe, <clears throat> maybe heard, uh, so it's throwback for you, but uh, it's one of my favorite moments that I've ever had, like, in nature. My favorite moments in creation with God, and uh, one of my favorite places on earth is Istanbul, Turkey. So I, I spent a summer in Istanbul. And it's this incredible city, like down on the water, uh, and it spans both Europe and Asia, and it's kind of this east meets west, like modern meets traditional. It's, it's just a cool city. Uh, but it's also a crazy city. It's like 15 million people, and it was, it, it was just busy and loud. Uh, and we took this trip towards the, the end of our time there out to camp at the Black Sea. And so we set up a tent at this campsite a little bit of ways from the Black Sea. And uh, that night around midnight, me and the people that, that I was with decided that we should go swim in the Black Sea at midnight. Because why wouldn't you do that, right? Uh, and so we, we took this, this little hike over to the Black Sea. And it's surrounded by like foothills in that area. So as we walked over, we couldn't see it. We could just see kind of the elevation but we got to sort of the base of the foothill and started to climb up. And at first it was kind of easy going, but then once you get towards the top and the Black Sea is just on the other side, it's actually pretty steep. And so once we got towards the top, we were almost like kind of climbing our way up. But then we get to the top and there it is, just the sea. In the middle of the night, there's no development around it, no lights, no anything, just the Black Sea. And I like looked at my friends and we took off running. And we just sprint down the backside of this hill. And I'm like, you know, I'm taking my shirt off as we're running down. And we just sprint like directly into the water. And it was a full moon that night. And there was absolutely no wind. And so the water was just like glass. And the reflection of the moon was right off of the shore. And so my friends, for whatever reason, were hanging back doing something. And so I just walked in and I waded in and I stood in the reflection of the moon in the Black Sea by myself. And the water was just like completely calm. And I remember just standing there like feeling this feeling that I've never known how to describe, but I think a lot of you guys know what the feeling is if you've had moments like this, like in nature, where you simultaneously feel like tiny in comparison to this thing that you're a part of, but also huge weirdly because you're seeing this kind of grand thing in front of you and you just have this this moment like something happens in you right and for me I was having this moment where I'm like this is awesome like this is one of the coolest things that I've ever seen and I was just like so pumped to be there and like thanking God and praying and all this stuff 
but I also was feeling a little bit of sadness because I knew the moment would end, right? Like you have that epic moment and you, you go to this, this incredible place that you've wanted to be at, but you know that you've just got to go back to normal life the next day. I'm going to wake up tomorrow and things are going to be normal. We're going to pack up the campsite and kind of go back to the city. And there was just this ache in my soul for like, I just want to stay here. I just want to live in this moment. Like, why does it have to end? And when I was thinking about what that feeling was, I think the best way I know how to describe it is it was homesickness. It was homesickness for a place that I've never been, but that I was made to live in forever. It was homesickness for another world. A world that is unseen, but every bit as real as this one. And even more real in a lot of senses. And it's a world that you and I long for. So we've been talking about glory. How God is glorious and you're glorious in him. But even that, as amazing as it is, isn't enough. Because that glory needs to be displayed in a place. And what I want to talk about tonight is that there is a real place of glory that exists. That you were made to live in forever. And all of us, I believe, when we pay attention, intuitively know that this world is not our home. But that we were made for another world and that even a naturalist can't live consistently with that philosophy because even a naturalist has these instincts that there's something beyond us that we were made for. Something beyond this world. C.S. Lewis said it like this, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And I don't know about you guys, but I have desires for a life for goodness, for home, that have never been fully met here. And I'm convinced it's because there's a real place, a real place that we'll get to see someday. And I think you have those desires too. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we've been talking about Christ in you, Tonight, I want to talk about the hope of glory. That you in him have a glorious hope. And to do that, I want to flip over to chapter 3. So I'd love it if you'd follow along with me, Colossians 3. We're going to focus in on verses 1 through 4. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There's our word glory again. It's saying here that there's a hidden glory that is waiting to be revealed. And it hasn't been revealed yet, but one day that glory will be revealed and you will be revealed with it. So this is a really thick text. Let's unpack it. Verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ. 
Here's what this is saying, is that if you have trusted in Jesus, the reason the if is there is not because if you've trusted in Jesus, this reality is in doubt, but it's checking in with you and asking you if you have trusted in him. So some of you in this room, you have not trusted in Jesus, and so this is not your reality. But for those of you that have, if you have trusted in Christ, then you have been raised with Christ. You have been resurrected with him. So the Bible uses this analogy of death in life. And all of us, by nature and by choice, are spiritually at an identity level dead. We have no life in us, and we have no ability to bring ourselves back to life. And so we needed someone to give us life, to breathe life back into our spiritual lungs. And that's what Jesus has done. When Jesus rose from the dead, he offered us an opportunity to rise from the dead as well. And this is saying that if you've trusted in Christ, you have been resurrected. You have come to life. And so now there is now a you that is eternally and spiritually alive and cannot die. That is what's true of you. So I want to ask a question, where does that you live? That you that is resurrected from the dead, it's not a physical you yet, but it is every bit a real you. The spiritual realm exists. We believe that as Christians. It's a real world. And so where is that you that is alive from the dead right now? Verse 3, you are hidden with Christ in God. Hidden means to be kept safe, to be stashed away. God has stashed you away in himself. So you are therefore as safe as God himself is. You are protected in God. You're hidden away in God. Now where is God? He is in heaven, which means that the truest sense of you, the real you, is currently, if you, if you have trusted in Christ, residing in heaven. That is your home. You live there. Your find my friend's blue dot is in heaven, not here on earth. If you've trusted in Christ, your destiny of eternal bliss with God forever is so secure that it talks about it in the past sense. Did you notice that? When you have been raised with Christ, your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's already happened. It's so secure that he's talking about it like it has already taken place. You are kept safe in God and nobody can touch you there. But the problem is that we are not physically there yet. We are there spiritually. We're there in a very real sense, but we are not there physically. And so this is the great tension of the Christian life, is that you were destined for a world of eternal bliss, and in a very real sense, you currently live there, but this world is not that world. And in fact, this world is not only not eternal bliss, but it hurts a lot. One of the primary things that will characterize this world is suffering. And one of the great tensions of the Christian life is whether you will believe the promises of God about what's true for you and what's coming for you in heaven, or whether you will believe the suffering of this life and will give up hope. That is ultimately what the Christian life is about, is will you hold on to him? Even when you look around this world and all of the evidence seems to be against these incredible promises that he's given you, will you believe his promises over and against some of the seeming circumstances in this world? 
Will you hold on until that world becomes visible in front of you and you come alive there? Will you wait for him? Or will you give up hope, concluding that that world can't exist because this world isn't that world yet? And it's a really difficult thing to hold out hope because the Christian life on this earth does not eradicate pain and at times it amplifies it. And so it very much is not heaven yet. And so this text will give you the discipline that you need to put in your life, the answer to that tension. It's in verse 2. What do you do with that tension is you set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. You set your mind on this coming future reality, this hope that you have. One of the best ways that I know to illustrate this is to talk about labor. We're going there, guys. Let's talk about labor. So I have two kids. I've seen my wife in labor once. And you go, how does that work? Two kids, labor once. The answer is C-sections. C-sections, guys. Because, uh, which, is, which, is honestly, which is honestly the way to go. Because the doctor calls you and you just say, hey, you want to have a kid at like 10 a.m. next Tuesday? And you're like, yep. And you go in and you get all kind of like set up. And you go in and then 15 minutes later, you got a kid. But for our first kid, we uh, tried to do it like the normal way because we didn't know yet how huge our children are and that they're not going to come out the normal way. And so we tried to do labor the normal way. Uh, and I, uh, so we were like prepping to, to have this kid, right? And we went to uh, this labor class where they supposedly teach you how to handle this situation in your life. And so you go to this class, it's like the things that you see in movies and stuff where you're like practicing the breathing and the dad's there doing it with the mom, like, you know, that kind of thing. And like, they taught me this thing with a scarf, okay? They were like, bring a scarf to the labor class. And I was very confused by this. And they teach you this thing where you put the scarf like over your wife's belly and then you like pull up on it because it's supposed to like relieve the tension or something like that and be helpful. So we're in this labor class, like practicing the scarf thing, like wrapping it around her belly. And I'm like, is this how this works, right? So we're doing this whole thing. We're prepared. We're prepared for labor. But then the day comes. Jessamy uh, starts to, to go into labor a little bit. And she's like, okay, I think this is the day. And that's when I started just sprinting around the house for no reason. Like I knew I was supposed to do something, but I didn't know what I was supposed to do. So I was just running. And this is actually where Colin comes into the story. Colin was in one of my small groups that was meeting that morning. And I texted them and said, hey, my wife's in labor, don't come. They didn't get the text message. So Colin walks into my house while I'm sprinting around my house, trying to figure out what we need. And, and Colin pops up and I'm like, hey man, uh, we're... We're going in, we're going to have our kid. And he's like, okay, bye, and just closes the door. But it actually snapped me out of it. I'm like, all right, I have everything I need. Just grab the bag, let's go in. And so, we, so we go into the hospital, and uh, actually, just me isn't in active labor. And so the first part of it is, is going super well. And so we, we're like just chilling, and we've got like our movies. We're watching movies. We've got our playlist that they told us to bring. So we're like dancing and singing a little bit in the hospital room, just having a good time. And because we were naive and new to this whole thing, we thought, man, maybe this labor thing is a little overblown. Maybe it's not that bad. And so we were kind of doing that for a while. But then they came in and said, hey, we need to induce labor. 
And again, because we're young and naive, we said, yeah, sure, do that. And so they did that, and then things got very real. So at first, it was, you know, kind of intense, but like, all right, we're doing okay. And then about 10 minutes later, my life changed forever, and Jessamy's life changed forever. It got very real. And so I'm trying to do the scarf thing, you know? Like, I'm pulling out the scarf, but I, I, I'm freaking out, and I don't know where it goes. And the nurse is coming up to me, and she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, the scarf thing, you know? And she's like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, you and the class person should really get on the same page, but we're like freaking out trying to figure this out. But labor is the definition of everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. And then you no longer have your plan, right? Um, and so Jessamy decided to, to go with an epidural, which is uh, where you, you kind of you get numbed from essentially the, the chest down. And, um, but there was this moment between when they administ administered the epidural and when it kicked in. It takes a while to kick in. It was just really tough. And so I'm there with Jessamy, and I'm just encouraging her. And here's what I'm saying over and over again. is like, hey, you've got this. I have no idea how hard it is, but I know that epidural is gonna kick in, and then right after that, we're gonna have this kid that we've been dreaming and praying about. You can do it, just keep going. And through that, she got through, and the epidural eventually kicked in, and then we got to meet our son. And it's one of the coolest moments of our lives, right? Okay, let me, let me break this down. I'm breaking the illustration rules a little bit. Typically, you're only supposed to make one point, but we've got a few within this, all right? Thinking about your phases in life that you'll walk through. Jess and I dancing in the emergency room is college, okay? So here, here's what I mean. In college, this isn't universal, but often in college, life feels easy. You, you just met Jesus recently, and you're excited, you're walking through life with your friends, things are looking up, following Jesus is like, yeah, I can do this. It doesn't seem that bad. Heaven is after the epidural kicks in. And some of the pain goes away, and you get to see that baby for the first time. What you've been anticipating comes. But this life, in general, is labor. It hurts. It's, it's painful. It's not a part of the process that any of us want to go through. But in order to get through that, you need to be able to look forward to what's coming, to anticipate the reward at the end in order to make it through the pain right now. And so your moments in this life as a Christian, the application of hope is when you're able to look forward and say, this pain is here now, but it's not forever. It won't last forever. And the day is coming when the reward of following Jesus that I've been anticipating will come, that one day I'll live with him in heaven forever, and that day is not right now, but I can make it through this day because of that day. You can start to apply your hope to make it through your current moment of pain. So one of the most important job descriptions for a Christian is to be a person 
of stubborn hope for the life to come that enables you to follow Jesus in life right now. In order to do that, you need to set your minds on things that are above. You need to set your minds on heaven. So let's practice that together right now, okay? For most of the rest of this time, let's set our minds on heaven. So let me ask this question with you guys. What will heaven be like? And what will you do there? What will heaven be like? And what will you do there in heaven? Where you go when you die before Jesus comes back is the presence of God, but it is not your ultimate home and it is not your ultimate hope. I think that's really important and I think we miss this sometimes. The primary hope given to us in scripture that we're supposed to anticipate and look forward to is what's called the new heavens and the new earth. When Jesus, risen from the dead, rises everything else to new life and recreates new creation and that heaven will be on earth. And the descriptions we're given of that place in scripture are incredibly physical. It's things like a feast where you're eating good food and, and drinking good wine and you're enjoying friendships. That's the analogies that scripture gives of that place. And within the analogies is that that place will be a very physical place that, yes, will be different from earth, but it uses earth for a very specific reason is because it will be a lot like earth. And you will be in that place in a new resurrected body. You will have a physical body with which you will explore the new heavens and the new earth. Here's what you will do in heaven. You will be an explorer. You are going to climb resurrected Rockies. You're going to swim in the new and improved Mediterranean Sea. You're going to sail to the even better Jamaica. You're going to explore God's new world that he created specifically for that purpose. Specifically for the purpose of your enjoyment. You will be explorers in that new world. But you'll also be something else. You'll do more than explore it. Revelation 5.10 says this, And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. That's talking about you, by the way. That if you are in Christ, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and here's what you will do. And they shall reign on the earth. Soak that in. Your destiny is that you will be a ruler over the new heavens and the new earth. You are a kingdom of priests and you will be reigning like kings and queens. Why? Because new creation will be yours. You'll own it with Christ. The way that Jesus owns new creation, you will own it, and therefore you will rule over it with him. Kings rule their kingdoms because it's their kingdom. That place will be yours. We talked on the first night about how Jesus owns 
everything. Everything in existence is the property of Jesus Christ. Now let me add to that Romans 8, which says that you are co-heirs with Christ. What is an heir? It's the person that receives everything that their parents have. What is it that Christ is inheriting? What is it that God has that he wants to give to Christ? The answer is everything. And you as a co-heir with Christ, what will you inherit? Everything. Everything will be yours in that new place. God is giving you new creation. That is the end point of redemption. Heaven is a mechanism that God designed specifically to give you all things. That is the goal. Here's what happened in like the story arc of history and of the Bible. Is God gave us his world in the beginning. That's what he's doing with Adam and Eve is he's giving us his creation. But then Satan stole that world from us and he ruined it. And we've had to live in that world ever since under his reign and his authority. But it wasn't the initial intention of God. And so God took his world back and eventually he will overthrow Satan. And heaven is when God gives you the world back. But it's a new improved rendition of his initial creation. That's the story of history. It's the story of the Bible. It's the story of your life if you're willing to enter into it. When I was thinking about this, it's like, imagine that your dad, when you were a kid, gives you a Nerf gun, okay? And then the mean kid down the block takes the Nerf gun and starts shooting people in the eye with it. He's misusing the Nerf gun. And so your dad gets angry, and he goes over, and he takes that Nerf gun back from that mean kid, throws that kid in timeout, and gives you the Nerf gun back, and says, have fun, kid. And you go and enjoy your life. He takes what Satan stole back and he hands it back to you. That's what you will do in heaven. Now, what will heaven be like? Flip over to Revelation 21. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So I want you to notice in this text both absence and presence. So we'll start with what is absent there in heaven. What's absent in heaven is sin and pain. One of the primary causes of mourning and difficulty in this life for you and for others in your life is your sin. Now again, not everyone here is a Christian, and so not everyone here is going to fully understand that. But I, if that's you, if you're not fully understanding that, I want you to at least 
investigate kind of in your mind what this would be like to see the world through this lens. But for you as a Christian, you don't want to sin. You don't like it anymore. And you see the ways that it's destroying your life, but there's still a part of your nature that runs back to it. It's an old habit that's still ingrained in you and you feel the conflict of that, of the person that you want to be, but the person that you often are. And sin, because of that, is horrible, it's frustrating, it's exhausting, it ruins our lives in so many tangible ways. But in the new heavens and the new earth, listen, you will not sin. And not only will you not sin, but you won't even want to sin. It's not like in the new heavens and the new earth, you'll be sort of fighting the temptation with sin, and if you try hard enough, you'll be able to keep it at bay, but it won't even be a part of your nature anymore. You'll be so thoroughly transformed that you'll be holistically and completely good, so that your natural inclinations will be goodness, not evil. What comes naturally to you will be goodness. You will actually there be incapable of ever sinning again. The same way you can't just decide to grow wings and fly on this earth, you will not be able to decide to sin in heaven because it will be completely against your nature and against the nature of that place. And so never again will you have to feel that, that shame and the pain associated with sin for you as a Christian. You will be truly and fundamentally pure. Because I am so tired of walking around in a lot of ways in my life as a living contradiction. Like the stuff that I preach, man, I mean it. And I want it to be true in my life. And more and more by God's grace, it is true, but there's so many ways that I'm so aware of the fact that what I'm saying, I can't even live up to because of my sinful nature and it's exhausting. And even when I'm experiencing victory, I'm still tired because it feels like I had to fight tooth and nail to obey God in that area in my life. But what would it be like to be thoroughly and naturally good? Man, I can't wait for that. Imagine having nothing to hide. Like nothing in your life that you're embarrassed by. The illustration from the previous talk of like, if we could play your life public and private on the screens, what would you feel? The answer is in heaven, if you could play your actual life in heaven on the screens, you would feel nothing but joy. Because there would be nothing about you that you would be ashamed about. Imagine being completely pure. There's seemingly a unique shame associated with sexual sin for Christians. I've experienced that in my life, like the weight of that sin when it's come up in my life. You will never experience that again. Guys, get this. Heaven will be filled with other people who are perfected in resurrected bodies. And they will not be wearing clothes. It'll be heaven. You will be surrounded by naked hot people and you will not wanna sin. You will only want what's good for them. 
You won't, you won't want to use people for their body. You will want to benefit them. That is awesome. That's genuinely amazing. Okay, lack of pain. Revelation 21, 4. And it's fine. It's just true. It's just true about heaven, guys. All right. Revelation. I, okay, yeah. All right. Revelation 21, verse 4. All right, listen in. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Never again shall there be pain. Okay, pain on this earth is actually a good thing because it warns you when something is wrong. But in heaven, it will be completely unnecessary because there will never be anything wrong. You won't need it anymore. And so you won't have it there. And not only that, but you will be in peak physical condition for all of eternity. You're young, you don't have that many aches and pains yet, but they're coming. I threw like three footballs today and my shoulder hurts. You will be in peak physical condition for the rest of eternity, but not only physical condition, but mentally and emotionally, you will never experience pain again. Some of the greatest moments of pain that I've experienced in my life have been moments where I've fought with anxiety and depression. It's something that I've fought with periodically throughout my life. And if you've struggled with that, you know what it's like to wake up with just this like gnawing thing in your stomach where you just have this sense of dread of something that's coming. Or you, some of you in the room have known what it's like to feel like the numbness of depression where you just want to you just want to give up because you don't know how to move forward. But in that place, there is nothing that could ever go wrong. And so there's nothing that you will ever dread again, that you will have to anticipate in angst. Here in this life, there's some reason for anxiety is because things really can go wrong here. But in that world, nothing will ever go wrong and you will never experience that emotional pain again. Imagine a world that reliably produces only what is right and what is good, where fear is completely unnecessary. But it's not just the absence of bad things, it's the presence and fullness of everything good. You will have the presence of joy constantly. And not only that, but you will grow in your enjoyment of God forever. Revelation 21.3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. God will dwell with us. That was the worst consequence of the fall is that we were separated from God forever. But on that day, he will come back to live with us. What will it be like to have God as a roommate? Well, a little hint, Psalm 1611. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Living with God will be fullness of joy. And I want to argue that your joy will actually increase forever. I'm going to get a little philosophical on you here for a minute. You guys are smart, 
You're in college, follow me, okay? Everything in the universe besides God is finite and therefore quantifiable. So you have things in this world that are unbelievably huge, but if you had the right amount of time and the right machinery, you in theory could count them. So the sand on all of the beaches in the world is an insanely large number, the grains of sand, but it's still finite, it's quantifiable. You in theory could still count all of it. The gallons of water in Lake Minnetonka, it's a crazy number, but you could in theory know that number. But God is infinite. Therefore, he is endless. And it means that there is an endless amount of him. There's an endless amount of God's stuff, okay? So if you were to grab a handful of God's stuff, there would still be the same amount of God's stuff left. You can't actually remove from his presence or from his character because he is infinite. And God being infinite and endless is amazing enough, but it's combined with the fact that being in his presence is fullness of joy. So because he is infinite, if you were to learn one thing about him, there would still be an infinite amount of things to learn about him. Does that make sense? Like you can't reduce the amount of things that there are to learn about God. And because his presence is fullness of joy, every single time you learn something about God, it will be amazing joy to you. It will be the most incredible thing that you have ever experienced. Psalm 16 tells us that, that his presence is fullness of joy, which means as your knowledge of God expands, your joy will also expand. So experiencing God, learning the smallest amount about him will be incomparably better than the best moment of your life. You will be designed in your glorious new body to behold the glory of God, and it will be by far the best thing you've ever experienced. The best moment of the best day in your life will not compare with that moment when you behold God. And when you combine that with the fact that you can learn about him forever means that every day forever you will experience aspects of God's new world and you will grow in your enjoyment of them. You will increase in joy. Every progressive second of your life will be the greatest second of your life forever. Your capacity for joy and glory will expand forever. That is amazing. C.S. Lewis talks about this reality that we not only want to behold glory, but we want to become a part of it. We want to become glorious ourselves and enjoy it ourselves. He says this, we do not want merely to see beauty, though God knows even that is bounty enough. We want something else which can hardly be put into words. To be united with the beauty we see. To pass into it. To receive it into ourselves. To bathe in it. To become a part of it. Sam Storm says it like this. We are not just going to witness Christ's glory. We are going to be enveloped in it. Engulfed by it. Made experiential participants of its surging splendor. And that hope, that insane hope we have for that day is not just good for that day, but it's helpful right now. If you've heard that expression, maybe you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good, 
that expression is not true according to Colossians 3. Because Colossians 3 is saying the exact opposite. It's saying if you want to be earthly good, set your minds on your hope. Set your minds on things on heaven. If you live and think about, if you live towards and think about heaven now, you will begin to live a heavenly life as well. I want to give you a couple just examples of that, of how I've seen that reality that hope matters practically in life right now. One of them is my dad. Some of you guys have heard me talk about my dad, a huge part of my story. Um, the way I met Jesus was when my dad passed away when I was 16. He had, he had cancer. And it was that night that he passed away that I, that I met Jesus. And one of the primary reasons that I met Jesus is because of what I saw in my dad towards the last days of his life. When he was in the hospital in a ton of pain, he was just full of joy and of hope because he was convinced that death was his gateway to the life that he had always wanted. He actually believed that that was true. And there was crazy stuff, like nurses used to fight over who got to be in his hotel room because he was like, not his hotel room, his hospital room, um, but they used to fight over who got to like be in the hospital room with him because he was so like joyful and good to be around and he would ask them about their families and like kind of hear about their lives and take care of them. He had this like uh, thankfulness journal right by his bed that he would write out like 30 things that he was thankful for every day, like as he was in incredible pain. And I just watched that and went, I don't have that. And I want it. And it was because of his hope that I was introduced to Jesus. Future hope is effective right now. Another story about someone, Beth. Beth Orlowski, some of you knew her, was the first member of Salt City Church to pass away. Beth also had cancer. She was one of the most remarkable human beings that I've ever met in my life. She battled with cancer for a crazy long time but she held on to hope through the whole thing. And because of it, she was one of the most beautiful, joy-filled, selfless people I have ever met in my life. I wanna to read to you a text message that Beth sent to some of her friends and family when she got a fatal diagnosis. Yesterday afternoon at 5.30, I received a call from my oncologist relaying what was discovered on Wednesday's scan. Apparently, apparently, my liver is beyond reach of any further treatment, and therefore, he is suggesting I start at-home hospice care. Of course, we don't know God's plans, but in my heart, I know I am already healed by Jesus' redeeming work on the cross. It's odd to feel sadness and joy at the same time, but both are commingling in my spirit right now. Either I enter my blessed reward of hanging out with Jesus, my best friend and light of the world, or my body manifests a miraculous healing, either way, cancer is stopped in its tracks. If you pray, please send prayers of gratitude for the healing I've received over the years and for the rich life I've been privileged to live, still holding out hope for more. Beth, as she was dying, said, if you pray for me, thank God. 
because what was unseen was real to her. She believed it with everything in her bones. And she knew that even if she died, she was entering true life. And so she had hope. If you've ever stayed up or gotten up to watch the sunrise, it's like one of my, I don't know, it's one of my favorite things about life. It's awesome. There's this moment right before the dawn where you can't see the sun yet, but you can start to see these like little rays of light coming up over the horizon. And it starts off with just like a little bit of color out in the distance and around you, it's totally black. But pretty quick, the world around you starts to change. And around you goes from black to gray and there starts to be these little rays of light. And right before the sun pops up over the horizon, the whole world changes colors. And those change in colors and the rays are proof that the sun is about to rise. That's what you conclude when you see the world starting to light up. Jesus is the sun that will one day rise on this world. And we as Christians on earth are the ones looking off into the horizon, waiting for the sun to come. And as we stare off at the horizon, we look at the rays and we, we know that it means that the sun is about to come. And even as this world around us goes around busy, distracted, not seeing the rays, we stand and we look at the horizon and we watch for the sun. And I'm saying one day the sun will rise on this world and the darkness will be pushed out by light. And Jesus will come back and everything will be remade and everything will be good again. And so don't give up. Hold out until the end. Learn to look at the horizon and see the light and conclude that the sun will rise even though it hasn't yet. Hold on to your hope in him. It's worth it. And one day you'll see him face to face. And you'll stand before him and you'll hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy. Wait for him. He'll return. Let's pray. Jesus, I lose hope a lot. I forget a lot. But I thank you that the reality of the hope that you've given me, the reality of your world, it isn't even based on my ability to have great hope. It's not based on my ability to muster up some faith. It's founded on the reality that you are risen from the dead, you live in heaven, and that one day you will come back, and heaven and earth will meet in you. And so we stand in that hope, waiting for you to come, Lord Jesus, help this room to hold on to you and not give up. God, I want to get to the end of my life. I want to be like Beth. I want them to get to the end of their lives and to be like that, holding firm to the hope that they have, even through suffering and pain and doubt. Hold on to them, Jesus, as they hold on to you. 
And God, thank you for the little taste of heaven that we get now. As we join the angels that are worshiping you in heaven currently by singing. Thanks that we get a little taste of that here and now. We love you, God. Amen.